TD Asset Management welcomes you to this week's podcast. As a reminder, this podcast cannot be distributed without the prior written consent of TD Asset Management. Hello and welcome to our special Women at TD edition of the TDAM Talks podcast. It's going to be a podcast where we'll discuss women in finance, our experiences along our career journey, and discuss how we don't want to be defined by our gender, but by our value. My name is Ingrid McIntosh, and I'm VP of Marketing, Communications, and Sales Enablement here at TD Asset Management, and I also have the privilege of being the executive sponsor of the TD Wealth for Women program. On that note, I have two incredible colleagues, women in investment management leadership positions here at TD Asset Management, as guests with me on the podcast. Anna Castro, Managing Director and Senior Portfolio Manager on the Asset Allocation Team, and Alexander Gorwitz, Senior Portfolio Manager on our Fixed Income Team. Anna and Alexandra, welcome. Hi there. Hi, Ingrid. Thanks for having us. It's going to be a great conversation. I'm going to start with you, Alex. Um, Can you tell me a little bit about your background and what led you to choose this industry, asset management, for your career path? Okay, so when you talk about background, it's like personal, professional. Who you you are, because we're all more than just our jobs. Yes, yes we are. Uh, So I uh, I was born outside of Canada. Uh, I was born in Romania and moved to Canada with my parents and my sister when I was very young. Um, So I did all my schooling here. Uh, Eventually got to high school and had to make a decision on, you know, what to do next, you know, university and, and thereafter. And when you're that age, you don't really know about the, the whole like, you know, wealth of, of opportunities and jobs that exist. So I figured I'd choose a program that had a lot of breadth uh, as well as depth. And uh, at the time, it was probably one of the only uh, programs at, at a university in the country that offered two degrees. Uh, it was actually offered jointly by Wilfrid Laurier University and University of Waterloo. It was a double degree program where you did math at one school and you did business at the other. But the best part about it is that and they had a mandatory co-op program. And I always knew I wanted to take the more practitioner route. I mean, academics were great, but you know, that, that it probably wasn't uh, for me. And um, uh, the, the nice part is I got experience uh, marketing. I thought initially that's what I wanted to do because I had a, you know, a very senior uh, example in my family. My, my aunt was a, a big marketing executive, executive and I thought, oh, I really I want to be like her. Um, uh, it turned out it wasn't for me. And then I tried insurance. And then eventually, uh, and many, many years ago, this is before the financial crisis, I got a co-op placement at TD Asset Management. Um, and I always joke that uh, fixed income, so I'm a fixed income portfolio manager, I always joke that fixed income found me, not the way, other way around, because even in, in high school, you know, if you think about career paths and you think of oh, something in finance, most you know, kids that age will think about stock picking. Uh, nobody wakes up and says, Nobody's I want to be, be a bond picker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. I want to be a bond picker. Like, that's, not, that's not a thing, <laughs> uh, at least not in the mind of a teenager. Uh, so fixed income found me um, because I got a job uh, working in the, our portfolio analytics team. Uh, it was uh, early days for the team at that time, uh, and they exclusively um, serviced, if you will, the fixed income portfolio management team. Uh, and I had great teachers, great peers on that team that helped me really build a, a technical uh, toolkit. I learned how to program. Um, I really got to you know, um, put my quantitative skills that I was learning at school to, to work. 
Um, and then eventually, I guess I wore them down and I got a full-time job on that team. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, several years of uh, doing development and analytics, again, specifically for the fixed income portfolio management team. Um, you know, I got a chance to build relationships uh, with, with various portfolio managers and started working on some LDI accounts, which uh, you know at the time was relatively you know new, new frontier, yeah. new frontier, which you were you were you were instrumental in in leading us into that frontier at the time, um, and uh, from there an opportunity opened up uh, on the passive fixed income portfolio management team, and I, I absolutely I took it, and I thought that was a great introduction into the market, right? Like understanding. What, what is the bond market? I mean, you don't really yeah. live and breathe bonds until you're actually managing And when you strategies. talk to people outside of the office about them, they don't really care either. <laughs> I'm going to pause you there on your journey because I think we're going to talk about, you know, the path that it ultimately took. But I want to, I want to pause for a moment and go to Anna and, sure. and pull the narrative together. And the same story. Let's uh, talk about how you ended up here at TD Asset Management in your journey. So I know uh, a trivia for everyone listening is that Ingrid and I actually go way back to 2007. So she was one of the key decision makers in my interview as I was applying for a summer internship role at TD Asset Management in the quantitative portfolio management team um, in between my MBA Gosh, program. I had vision. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe it'll help like for everyone to also like understand what I do right now. So um, I'm in, uh, I lead our multi asset portfolio management team. So we evaluate different investment strategies globally, fixed income, equities, derivatives, and re real assets, and construct portfolios with different uh, return and risk profiles. So in that role, um, I have a portfolio management role. So it's looking into investment analysis and portfolio construction, very much um, technical. The other role I have is I lead a team. So I am focused on coaching uh, portfolio managers and developing them. Um, and in this case, uh, we have a quite a diverse team. So that's my uh, current role. But my journey really, as I mentioned, I started out with a quantity portfolio management role. I had an engineering background before MBA. I am an immigrant. Um, I came to Canada in 2006. I worked in uh, a global insurance company in Asia prior to that for six years. So I've actually lived in two other countries prior to Canada, uh, the Philippines and Japan. And um, so my journey in TDAM is also like almost like that. So from, from, from a quant perspective, I went into credit research, uh, fundamental equities, and then broadening it into um, different asset classes, derivatives to where I am right now. And you, you grew up in a fairly linear path um, with good support and sponsorship and increasingly more senior roles. Alex, your path was a little bit different because um, you started in portfolio analytics and passive fixed income, but then you sort of, you know, I won't say you've topped out, but you made a decision. <laughs> you made a decision. Tell me about that. What happened? Yeah, so, um, you know, although growing up, I always knew I was very good at math and the quantitative aspect of our profession, the analytical part comes very naturally to me. I've always had a really strong, keen interest in, um, in politics, in geopolitics, in anything that had to do with, call it, social behavior. Um, and if you think about uh, how that plays into investment decisions, it tends to be more what we call top-down approach. Well, TDAM has always been very good at the bottom-up approach, right? Doing the deep fundamental mm -hmm. work, particularly on the fixed income side. 
and with a lot of emphasis on credit, whereas I had a keen interest more on the sovereign side, uh, more on, on governments, and again, the, the big macro picture. So I found an opportunity at another shop that employed a, a macro top-down approach to investing. I actually took a step back career-wise because I, I knew I had great opportunities here, but I took a step back. I, I took a more junior role, and then that really propelled me through a lot of hard work, you know, morning, day, and night, but it didn't feel like work because I was getting to like marry the math with the politics and the macro, and like I was just living and breathing work, uh, and that propelled me to eventually uh, become head of rates at another uh, organization, um, and you know, head of rates like for you know anyone who doesn't like fully understand fixed income, and that's a lot of people. <laughs> um, you know, rates are the, the effectively the the price that at which you lend to a, a government. Mm -hmm. Put it put it that way, especially a, a sovereign government, um, and that tends to be a nichier role. And there are many different ways that you can structure an investment management uh, organization. So, the one that I happened to be in had the rates function split out from credit within the fixed income space. I ended up leading that team, uh, but made all kinds of decisions um, from an investment perspective across a whole suite of funds, not just fixed income ones, but asset allocation as well. Um, over the years, I've kept in touch with uh, my peers here. I love the people that I, I initially started working with at, at TDEM, and there have been a number of people like me that have left and come back. Uh, and it's just because you know we maintain we maintain t like yeah. so contact. Soft skills too. Yeah. I think what's fascinating is you both had two different roles, and and while you're away, some other things happened in your family. <laughs> when you left, you yeah. were Alex, and then you came back, and you had. Um, you're married and two children, so a lot had happened in your few years away from, from TD. Oh, that's right. I, I, want to I want to talk a little bit about the journey to, to leadership positions as women, and are there elements of that journey that you felt um, were different for you than perhaps for a male peer? I'll start with you, Anna. I think for me, uh, the beginning part, um, obviously as an immigrant too, like I also had to adjust culturally on how to best communicate my mm -hmm. ideas and present these in the most impactful manner. And I think one of the things I'm conscious of now that I lead a team is that um, maybe unconscious biases or perception of how the packaging is. So in this case, one of the things that I had to address early in my career is like, People may think of what assertiveness and ambition and decisiveness a different way from how it may come in different forms. Mm -hmm. So in my case, that was one thing that I had to work towards, being a subject matter expert and build that credibility and show that I am, I have conviction, I am decisive, and I have the competence. It also comes with something that I bring to the table. I am very, a very focused listener. And I think about including people more than others to make sure that we consider different perspectives and get, get buy-in. I think that's an, um, it's a really important piece because um, it is, we talk a lot about um, women in investment management roles, what's the different thinking that comes to the table, but also women in leadership and our leadership styles and how are we um, ensuring that we're bringing all those voices together at the table, which isn't just about embracing equity, it's about getting to better decision making, which I think is an incredibly powerful um, narrative. Alex, for you, is there anything different that you would have noted about your journey um, you know, up, up the hill, as you will, as a woman compared to some of your male peers? There were a couple of uh, you know, instances that I'd share with you from um, the prior organization uh, that I worked at. Um, 
and you know, it, it's a little bit uncomfortable to talk about these things because I don't necessarily want to badmouth people, but it does show you know, the, the, the attitudes towards women in more senior positions or how that attitude might be different. Um, so I, I never felt um, that I was seen as a woman or, or in any way discriminated as, against as a woman until I developed a personal life, <laughs> uh, and you know, I mentioned I was you know working like morning, day, and night. Uh, that was partially also the expectation that was set by a boss that was a self-proclaimed workaholic, and that was a very um, I'd say typical type of uh, of approach to work in this business for mm -hmm. many decades. Um, now, uh, when I decided, uh, well. Well, when I met my hus now husband uh, and I got engaged, I remember very vividly having uh, doing an interview for a junior person um, on our team. And my boss at the time invited me and one other person from our team to be part of the interview process. And um, it was great, a lot of great questions. And the candidate, who happened to be a, a young male, asked, um, well, what would you recommend uh, for me to be successful in uh, this position? And um, uh, you know, myself and one of the other individuals, we answered work-related uh, answers. My boss said, well, put it this way, if you're going to uh, want to get married and have kids, you're not going to be successful in this role. <laughs> and I had just gotten engaged, and that was the first time I realized, well, is it, is it because I'm a woman? Is it not because I'm a woman? It was, this was the first time where I realized my personal and professional um, you know, approaches might be at odds. Eventually, though, and that wasn't the, the norm. Like, I, I attributed more to him specifically, my boss at the time. Uh, now, mind you, eventually, I had a child, and I was away on mat leave, and I actually got promoted to the head of the team while I was on mat leave. So it obviously didn't stop. you didn't stop. lose your brain power. <laughs> oh, that's crazy, Amazing. right? But, but then I came back, and I faced other kinds of discrimination where I realized, like, okay, maybe my interpretation originally about his comment about you know, me being, like, especially like being a woman and having a personal life was perhaps a bit of an issue when I took on the, the head of the team, came back from ad leave, and uh, the marketing coordinator at our organization, who was a male of similar age to me, so it's called you know similar you know modern thought. You know, no offense to <laughs> uh, you know people that have been in this industry for decades, but I was really surprised when he started um, excluding me from various marketing events that would happen after work hours, so after 5.30 mm -hmm. or after 6 p.m. And he would always say like, oh, you know, I, I, I know you probably want to go home and spend time with your baby. And I would say, well, that, that, that's not for you to manage. That's my decision. I have a husband who knows what I do for a living, knows how passionate I am about it, uh, and he's very supportive of me, and that's for us to figure out. I shouldn't have to explain my personal life, yeah. as long as my personal life is not coming into conflict. I know what I'm signing up for, right? Our clients entrust us with their life savings and, and they depend on us to make sure that they can still meet their financial goals or whatever life goals they have that require, mm -hmm. and pretty much everything requires money, right? Um, so we know what we're signing up for and we want to do good by our clients. And if that means we have to go talk to them and meet with them, great, I'm going to do That's that. That's the gig. That's the gig. I know exactly. what I'm signing up for. So I, yeah, I, I feel like eventually, you know, it didn't stop me from succeeding as a woman, but eventually there were a lot of conflicts I found myself having to manage by being a woman in this business. I think that's an internal battle too. You know, I, I take your point. I was a bond trader when I got pregnant with my first son, and when I told my manager, they literally didn't know what to do. Like, wow. what, what do we do? <laughs> so, um, and, and there is this, you know, I think we've, and I've talked about this before, 
in this industry, it felt early on like um, the industry was accommodating to allow women at the table um, versus really embracing um, the gifts that we bring that really differentiate the process. What about you, Anna? What felt different for your journey um, into a leadership position? And was any of that related, do you think, to, to your gender? So for me, what I focused on in the beginning is that I had strong technical skills. So that's helpful in this industry, having a background in science, technology, engineering, and math. So that's key. The second part is I think as I progress into a portfolio manager role that actually leads to, uh, not just leads a business, but needs to connect with clients, one of the key things I had to address is that because I may not be the traditional portfolio manager. Mm -hmm. um, is that I can she Yet. connect with clients? <laughs> uh, connect with clients in the sense that okay, uh, I did not grow up here. I may not have the history of all of Canadian experiences growing up. Um, I may not be. Uh, I may not play hockey, but I can actually connect with people in different ways, not just in sports. Um, and so, and I think as time goes on, I had to come up with my own style, especially when I'm speaking and meeting clients or a sales team, what stand, stood out for them is that I genuinely cared about making a difference as a fiduciary, which is in charge of people's money and their hopes and dreams. And so in my different way, people build that trust and connection, even if I may not be you know, as knowledgeable on sports or as athletic and that, you know, um, yeah. I do like the swimming and scuba diving, but maybe I'm not a skier or a hockey player. <laughs> yeah. and, and I, you know, um, and so as time went on, uh, because I am a big traveler, it's something my husband and I do. Um, and, you know, I find different things to talk about, um, interesting places, um, and, you know, just to break the ice. And I think yeah. that's the thing, like when you think about human connection, how is that defined? I think, and, it, and you're really hitting on a note, and this is why the, the TD Wealth for Women program is so important. You know, it's estimated that over the next few years, women will actually be the holders of the majority of wealth in Canada. So as an organization, representing women, understanding women, understanding their needs, et cetera, I think is so um, incredibly important. And as we try to attract more women into our industry, seeing great role models um, is critically important. Um, I'll ask you both a sort of question. What does it mean, or I'll ask you first, Alex, what does it mean to embrace equity? What does that feel like for you? Uh, I feel like historically a lot of emphasis has been put on what I'd call equal opportunity, or not what I'd call like what is known as equal opportunity. And while that is important, like I think a lot about um, uh, you know, equal treatment or, or fairness in, in treatment. And to me, that has m multiple implications. It means, you know, uh, when we're part of, if we're making decisions as a team, for example, I might have a different communication style, and I often will, and not just because I'm a woman, because I'm an individual with my own life path and my own experiences. But uh, oftentimes, you know, when women talk, they tend to be you know, they're told that they complain or that they have a certain style of communication. She's got sharp is, elbows. Yeah. She's, yeah, she's aggressive. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And and that same type of behavior or that same type of approach might be perceived slightly different if it came from a from a guy. So really listening to what I'm saying, like thinking of the, the content, the value of, of what I'm talking about, not necessarily how I'm saying it. Um, that's one, that's, that's the treatment side, but then also thinking about how you set the bar. Um, you know, going back to some of my earlier examples about how shocked I was about the level of accommodation that was given to me when I had, you know, a young it's, kid it's at home. It's not a handicap. <laughs> that's right, it's not a handicap. We all have, we all have kids, so not all of us, but like a lot of us do. Um, and uh, the one thing I thought was um, 
uh, frustrating was don't change the bar. Don't raise the bar and don't lower the bar as to what success means for the role that I have in terms of determining whether you know, I should be given more uh, you know, uh, opportunities or whether I should be given more responsibilities. Judge me by the same like, you know, metrics that you would judge anybody, man, woman, or they in the same yeah. position. Yeah, and that's a, that's a great ask. What does it mean for you, Anna? So the term equity um, really poses us to reflect on the nuance, on how each individual could have different circumstances and needs, but deserve to achieve a similar outcome with the next person. And so considering that, that's something I think about in my team, because I uh, hire, coach, develop portfolio managers, and it's so important to, for us to have diversity in thought and intellectual curiosity, because it helps us come up with better decisions evaluating risk and opportunity. So that means that as I get to know them and assess what they bring to the table, is considering that. That one approach or one communication style or one type of skill set um, is the right one to bring to the table. So that's one aspect. And the second aspect that I think about Embrace Equity is now that I'm more client facing and I meet our clients, part of how I evaluate how successful my messages and how it was received by that particular person. And so in that case, you are more um, reflective as to what the circumstance would be or the situation would be of that person and make sure that at the end of the day, they are also focused on building wealth for financial freedom mm -hmm. and their needs and the way they communicate that or think of that might be different. Um, but they deserve the same achievement of goals. Yeah, and I don't think women have the market cornered on empathy, but I think that when it comes to our clients or our peers or members of our teams, I think we feel it more deeply. And I think, you know, COVID was a real period where women and women in leadership roles especially um, really felt the weight of carrying our teams through those moments. So there's so many different um, things that we bring to the table. I know we, we've been talking for a while, so I want to sort of start to wrap it up. but. Before we end, I want to ask you um, for your last thoughts in terms of what, what do you wish people understood about your journey or what, you know, is there any sort of biases or assumptions that you wish people would just get rid of about women in, in leadership positions, particularly in investment management? Alex. Oh. Um, <laughs> We've talked about this, a woman investment manager, right? No, an investment manager? And a, yeah. That, yeah, an investment <laughs> manager that, that happens to be a woman. I, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't really know. To me, like, and this is very personal like, experience, it's just this notion that I shouldn't be, uh, you know, treated uh, any differently now that I have, call it responsibilities, uh, you know, at home. Um, but I, I think that also depends on the individuals, to be honest. You know, something that I, I was commenting actually with my manager out of Active Fixed Income, Scott Colburn, I said, you know, it's, I really appreciate when you talk about the challenges that you've faced in juggling like your work-life balance and you know, three kids, I mean, they're grown up now, but I also hear Mike Augustine at a fixed income or Dave Sykes, mm -hmm. our CIO, talk about uh, the challenges of you know, child rearing. And it's great when you hear that, particularly from more senior men in the organization, because it reminds everyone that, hey, parenting is, you know, it's a team sport. A team sport. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. They have an equal contribution uh, to it. And it just, you know, it's 
it helps me to know that if I say, uh, like, oh, you know, my, my kid threw up at daycare today, I have to leave, that it won't be held against me or, oh, we can't rely on her, we can't give that's her more responsibilities. That's what you get for having a woman in a PM role. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, that's right. So the fact that they normalize the, yeah, the discussion around parenting, like that to me is, is super helpful. So it doesn't necessarily apply everywhere. And certainly my experience here at TDAM has not been an unpleasant one, despite some of the issues I faced in, in prior roles. But I just want you know people to know that the way that a man can have a family and a career, a woman can do the same. Whether it's childcare, elder care, any of it, right? We all have responsibilities to who we are outside the organization. And as more women have taken leadership roles in organizations, that has to become more balanced outside as well. Yeah, and I totally agree, Ingrid, because it's it's you know, when we think of people we meet, each one is fighting a battle that you don't know yeah. or see. Yep. And as individuals right now, we could be senior portfolio manager or people manager, but we have many roles and hats that we play with different parts of the day. And I think once one of the things you told me very early <laughs> on is that, you know, I mean, we juggle different types of balls in the air. It, and it's important for us to know at a given point in time which ones are made of glass and which ones are rubber. And so for me, as I think about uh, my journey, one of the things I think about is um, while we're f comfortable as women, as we build our career, whether it's a linear path or nonlinear path, um, it's to be comfortable being work in progress, but also know that you evolve your skill set and the type of relationships you have. And sometimes you also have to think about your own board of directors um, and whether it's, you know, now they have different terms, allies or sponsors or whatever. Mm -hmm. So what a board of directors in your own career that you trust and think about as you make decisions in your journey. Because in my opinion, like what's been helpful for me in the more recent, let's say five years, it's different from when I started. Um, I've gotten to work with, peop with people, executives who are not afraid to sponsor or be allies with, uh, of someone who may not be what would be uh, what considered uh, mainstream uh, or traditional. Yet, I keep saying uh, yet. yet. Um, or, um, and because in this case, uh, there are different um, who are willing to actually pause and reflect, uh, was there an unintended bias mm -hmm. in certain moments? Because what has been helpful for me that also helps me become a good leader and decision maker is that now in this environment we have is that you are supported and heard and seen, because that leads to you being valued. And the moment you do that, I think people who are reflective of this journey bring other people up as well. And you set such, both of you set such a remarkable um, role model for the young women that we have coming up through the organization today. And this is gonna be my last question for each of you. And I'll start with you, Anna, because we're on a roll. What would you say to the, knowing what you know now, what would you say to that Anna who was uh, interviewing all those years ago oh uh, to gosh. start their journey at TDS uh, Management? Clearly a diamond in the rough. <laughs> <laughs> so I would say to myself then to remain resilient uh, through time and be very open-minded. And one of the things that has helped me that I wish I knew earlier on is really work on communication skills. Because no matter how great your ideas and values are, it's all about how you communicate depending on your audience. Wonderful. Same question for you, Alex. What would you tell that co-op student who first came through the doors here at TDS and Management all those years ago? It's something that I had heard from multiple people, men and women, uh, that were in senior uh, positions in, in multiple organizations in this industry. Um, Right, and 
when I say right, it kind of uh, you know touches on the communication aspect uh, or working on the communication aspect that Anna mentioned. But there's actually uh, I found personal benefits for me, and I, to be honest, I didn't start actively writing. In other words, putting my ideas down on paper and then eventually blasting that out to people, anyone and everyone who'd be willing to listen. Uh, but what I found, even for me personally, in terms of benefits of how it made me a better portfolio manager, and maybe this advice is very specific to the investment ma uh, management uh, role, is when you put your thoughts down on paper, it's almost like a baseline from which you can forecast. And a good forecast or a good prediction doesn't swing from the fences and doesn't change from, I think the outcome the probability is 20% today and tomorrow I think it's 80%. No, good predictions, good forecasts are about incremental changes and it's about understanding here's my framework, here's what I'm expecting to happen and then you build on top of that. So when you write down and put your ideas down on paper, and then if you have the courage to blast that out to other people, what you find is, let's say you send it out to 100 people, even if one person replies and gives you one additional data point or gives you one additional food for thought, you can continue to build on your idea. And what you find is a couple of things. One, you obviously have a much more comprehensive uh, you know, framework, decision-making framework with, with which to actually take bets, assuming you're an, you're an active PM. Uh, but then on top of that, you keep yourself honest. Uh, and you have the ability to go back and say, hey, I was right, and I was right for the wrong right reasons, and that's, that, that builds a lot of confidence. Or you go, oh, I was right for the wrong reasons, or oh, I was wrong, and for a number of reasons, but at least it gives you an ability to keep yourself honest. And then, you know, if you happen to be right a number of times, other people can also see that if it's already been, you know, put out there. Okay. Uh, it's, so it's a great way of collaborating, but also, you know, is self-reflecting in some ways about what you're expecting to happen and, and helping, you know, you develop as a, as a portfolio manager. I think as you were saying that, I know that you were expressing a narrative around, you know, building your confidence in your investment decision making, but I kept thinking about the parallel of writing a career development plan, like literally writing a narrative about where you think you might want to go and sharing that with other people and sharing it with colleagues and, and mentors and sponsors and getting the feedback on that and then growing and getting the conviction. So um, I could stay here for hours with both of you and we could continue this conversation. Maybe we'll be after, but we do need to wrap up. Um, I want to thank you so much for joining me and uh, on this day, on International Women's Day. You know it's such a huge passion for me and I thank you for being such incredible role models for the women at T asset management, um, that actually anything is possible and um, there's, no, there's no stopping us. So thank you so much, Alex. Thank you so much, Anna. Thank you. Thank you, Ingrid. And to all of our listeners, um, thank you again for joining us on our first Women at TD podcast. We're going to reconnect shortly as we have lots of strong women and lots of amazing stories to tell, so we will be back. As always, um, to receive the latest expertise and updates from TD Asset Management, you can follow us on Twitter at TDAM underscore Canada and on LinkedIn at TD Asset Management. Thanks and happy International Women's Day. The information contained herein has been provided by TD Asset Management and is for information purposes only. The information has been drawn from sources believed to be reliable. The information does not provide financial, legal, tax, or investment advice. Particular investment, tax, or trading strategies should be evaluated relative to each individual's objectives and risk tolerance. Certain statements in this podcast may contain forward-looking statements that are predictive in nature and may include words such as expects, anticipates, intends, believes, estimates, and 
similar forward-looking expressions or negative versions thereof. Forward-looking statements are based on current expectations and projections about future general economic, political, and relevant market factors, such as interest and foreign exchange rates, equity and capital markets, the general business environment, assuming no changes to tax or other laws or government regulation or catastrophic events. Expectations and projections about future events are inherently subject to risks and uncertainties, which may be unforeseeable. Such expectations and projections may be incorrect in the future. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance. Actual events could differ materially from those expressed or implied in any forward-looking statement. A number of important factors, including those factors set out above, can contribute to these digressions. You should avoid placing any reliance on forward-looking statements. TD Asset Management Inc. is a wholly owned subsidiary of the Toronto Dominion Bank. TD Asset Management operates through TD Asset Management Inc. in Canada and through Epic Investment Partners Inc. in the United States. TD Greystone Asset Management represents Greystone Managed Investment Inc., a wholly owned subsidiary of Greystone Capital Management Inc. All entities are affiliates and wholly owned subsidiaries of the Toronto Dominion Bank.